and welcome to episode 24 of Slytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Most weeks we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. But this week is a little different because it's album overview week. So we'll play snippets from each track and just give our final impressions now that we've had time to digest the piece as a whole. I'm Mo from France and to my West, broadcasting from West Bromwich Albion's home dressing room. It's Dr. Lee Quesants. How you doing, Doc? Um, I'm very well. Um, it's a very, very strange place to uh, to find myself. Um, it's 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 been a long time since I've been in a men's dressing room. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, of course, has uh, has been deserted for for really, really quite a long time. And uh, some un- unkind souls would say that it's been a good forty or forty-five years since there were any football players in here. Ah, but um, it, it's what can I say? It's uh, very, very hygienic, very well scrubbed. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been for a bit of a, uh, a bit of a trot around the outside of the pitch. Um, keep all nine limbs sort of limbered up and, and sure. generally flexible. Um, <laughs> although they, they, they are pretty flexible. Um, I should probably go out and try to do something about mopping up that slime trail because I'm sure the ground staff won't appreciate it in the morning. Of course, no, no, no. You, um, you are very viscous, aren't you, Doc? Yeah. Um, I mean, as as we've alluded to before, it, it's 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 nice and cool at the moment, which which, which means the uh, the viscosity isn't uh, flowing uh, with the alacrity with which it does in uh, in in the summer months. <laughs> um, I mean. I suppose what I should do is sort of uh, share exactly what I'm doing in West Bromwich Albion's um, changing rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, this is obviously where the trophy cabinet is. Um, it's where they display all the silverware um, that isn't sort of deemed suitable to be put on display in, in the public rooms um, or in the entrance lobby or anything like that. Um, and I happen to know that there is um, amongst one of them, and I don't know which one it is, um, but um, one of them um, contains the the, the ashes um, of an erstwhile acquaintance of mine. Do you recall several weeks ago, um, I said I was aiming to make contact with one of the Western world's foremost experts um, in um, readily available disinfectants. Um, I do, the, yes, the, I recall uh, this. Legend- Yes, I, I recall um, this. Go on, the, the, the legend that is? Yeah, uh, the legend that is um, Professor Milton Dettol. Of course, Mr. Dettol, yes, I do remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, um, I came a bit unstuck in that search because it, it turns out that um, in as much as he could ever die, then um, Professor Dettol, um, <laughs> the Dettol man, as he is known to his <laughs> friends, um is, is is no longer a presence on this mortal plane oh, um, and it seems it seems that what happened was um after being transfixed through where his heart should have been um by um a a, a bolt of frozen putrescence um 
actually so hygienic was he that no putrefaction whatsoever occurred and he crumbled to dust immediately upon expiring. Good Um, Lord, like the end of the last crusade. Very much like that, yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, except um, this this was apparently like very, very fine grey, green, brown coloured dirt. Does Mr. Um, Dettel not, you know, have have acquaintance with Mr. Dolmio and Mr. Del Monte? Are, 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 you know, are, are these friends? Are these people friends? Well, um, uh, a fabric. Um, if you've ever seen any of their television adverts, um, they don't just look like they're made out of fabric, and those mm. are not simulacra of them. They are actually made of fabric, um, and as such, they, they 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 don't really do friends. I think you might be thinking of the Ragu um, family, Doc. Might I? I think um, you might be. I'm not sure about this. Curse my ignorance of popular I, culture. No, I, I could be wrong, but I, I, I think that's the Ragu family. <laughs> what are we talking about? Good Lord. Good God. Come on, let's get our feet on the ground. We've, we've got a fucking episode to do, for God's sake. Um, um, well, at least, at least I owe you an answer to the second part of your question, um, which is that um, I can confirm um, that um, uh, uh, General Del Monte, um, as everyone knows, um, one of South America's most ruthless dictators. Of course, yeah, um, he's got that look, hasn't well, he? He's got that look in his well, eye. Yeah, definitely, uh, and I mean, you know. Anyone who can um, infuse the peasants quite so much merely by turning up in his limousine in their village. Um, And then, obviously, you can remember as he goes about his inspection and presumably deciding whether or not their village should be razed to the ground using old Soviet tanks and flamethrowers. And then just the the look of breathless happiness and relief on on, on all the poor folks' faces (laughs) when they intone the immortal words... um, the man from Del Monte, he say yes. He say yes. Your village um, is safe. So, um, yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> this year. Yeah, exactly. For now. This For year. now. Exactly. Um, yeah. um, but um, he was uh, he was one of Professor Detol's employers for several years. Um, and um, uh, Professor, De- Professor Detol was charged with devising um, a laundry detergent that could get his his white suit um, as as spotlessly white as it always ah, was, um, and at the same time um, using the acid mm, from pineapples as one of the ingredients. I imagine um, he wasn't an employer um, whose favour one took lightly, um, and he wasn't an employer who one wished to displease. Um, so I believe Professor Dettol had to make his escape in the middle of the night. Um, probably hidden under a pile of pineapples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what have I been up to, Doc? Um, Absolutely nothing. It's Groundhog Day. We're in. We're, we're, we're three weeks into the national lockdown. Literally, literally nothing of interest. Great apologies, but it does leave us time for the new section that is an old section made new, which we're now calling. I seem to remember. Chow. Do you, do you remember what that stood for, Doc? Little, little memory test for you. Um, I recall it was in French. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me, please, once. And I mm-hmm. shan't forget again. Here we go. And in fact, I, I've improved it last, because last time I, was, I started with the word correction. That's a bit of a bastardization mm. in French. We should not use that word in French. So I'm going to use the proper French word this time. Les corrigements, information additionnelle et observation. Ciao. Here we go. So. 
corrections, basically. Here we go. I've got four, Doc. We've had none for a few weeks, and suddenly we've got four. Like London buses, for God's sake. Um, Number one, the sound quality on episodes 21 and 22 was a bit poor. We apologise. We've identified the problem. Turns out QAnon were listening into our feed and causing interference. We fixed it. I placed a call to their commander-in-chief and assured her that the satanic hordes we keep talking about are not in any way affiliated to the ones that their great leader, Mr. Trump, is trying to defeat. So thank God for that, Doc. We can sleep easy in our beds. We're okay. Um, And as penance, um, in the hope that it will make them like me, um, I intend to watch the Trump prophecy later this evening. Good, good. Yes, I, the rec- recommended viewing for all of our listeners. I would, I would say, um, essential, essential viewing. Um, correction number two. In fact, the next three all come, I think, from the same episode, all from the Praise of Death episode. Motorcycle Man by Saxon was from the Wheel Wheels of Steel album, which was released in 1980. Not as we guesstimated in 1978, 1977. We, we were out by a couple of years, Doc. I was very little. Um, a year seemed like a really, really long time in those days. Of the time between Christmases. Of course. Second one from that album, I kept referring to somebody called Tommy Valance. Of course, I meant the late, great Tommy Vance. Erstwhile rock DJ extraordinaire. You remember Tommy Van Stuck? Remember Tommy Van Stuck? I certainly do. Yeah. Um, who was Tommy Valance then? Was he a real person? I think I was thinking of the, the, the Valance guy from the band The Four Seasons. But I can't remember his first name. Ah. I can't remember his first name. You know, kind of a kind of a an Italian kind of mafioso sounding name. Ah, I, I just blurred the two things together in my head for some reason. Um, and the last one, I said that Megadeth covered No More Mr. Nice Guy by Motley Crue for the Shocker soundtrack. Wrong again. It was, of course, originally recorded in 1973 by none other than Alice Cooper. I knew that, Doc. I just got it wrong. We shouldn't be making slip-ups like that. Um, no, poor. I no, now poor. need to figure out a way to do even grosser, a bit greater obeisance to the metal yep. gods mm-hmm. um, to to uh, to atone for uh, being a part of that mistake. Oh my goodness! I know what what, what a shocker. Um, Ironically, what a shocker. Um, here we go. Topic for the week. If you're ready, brace yourself. I am. Most overrated bands, metal or non-metal. I'm looking for three three names, Doc, if you can. Overrated um, bands, so in your opinion. Bands. You don't need to justify it, it's just um, your opinion. No, I'll start with metal because it's so easy. Um, Metallica. Oh, go on. Yeah, explain oh, yourself, on. sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm outraged. Um, I mean, to be fair... Um, the reason I consider them overrated is because I sort of, I came into metal. Um, I know it's not like that now and hasn't been for a while. I came into metal at the time when Metallica were considered the first and last and always um, of metal. 
and they were considered to be a band that could do no wrong. They were considered mm. a band that it was obligatory to be into if you considered yourself to be metal at all. Um, peculiarly, they're also one of the bands that I've I've never quite got. I've never quite understood um, where the obsessive love comes from. Um, they've got a couple of tracks that I like, and I just kind of got bored of hearing about how great were, uh, how great Metallica were, uh, mm-hmm. how you had to be into Metallica. Um, yeah, the, the, their fans are, are, are particular, aren't they? You know, they're, they're devoted fans, really are myopic, I think. Um, well, they're one of those bands, um, kind of like Iron Maiden, mm. um, in as much as that they've, they've, they've got their own fans. Um, Metallica have got, like, Metallica fans who are not only into Noah the metal band, they're into Noah the form of music. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's really, um, really interesting. Um, it, 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 you know, yeah. it, put, it puts me in mind of like the certain video game fans who only play Call of Duty and nothing else, or only play FIFA and nothing else. You know, I, I, so the it's strange, is, isn't it? It is strange. I can imagine at some point in the future, I might end up being one of those people who likes just one video game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I might eventually find um, a, vid- a, a video game that I'm really into. Um, but when, it strikes me as old. When, that, where do you place Doom, Doc? I, I thought you were a proponent of Doom. Um, I greatly enjoy what I, I used to really enjoy watching people play Doom. Oh, I see. We didn't play uh, it. I get it. No. Um, I. I um, I just used to really, really enjoy watching yeah. um, watching people play Doom. Um, mm-hmm. For our listeners, this uh, this was at the tail end of the era of um, what you would do on a Saturday night um, after coming back from the pub. You would try to stumble by the video rental store, um, and if there wasn't an Italian cannibal film or an Italian zombie film um, or an Italian um, uh satanic lesbian nun film um <laughs> then to begin with you were in a really bad mood um but if there weren't any of those um then it would be um a big dumb u.s action film probably made by canon pictures probably shot in the philippines um and actually the only thing that was wrong with those films is they had problems like there were they had a plot and they had people trying to act um and it used to get in the way of weightlifters with machine guns walking around the jungle, <laughs> blowing up bamboo. And basically watching someone play Doom solves that problem instantly. Um, you don't even have to look at some weightlifter's sweaty, hairy, gurning face. Um, you just get all the good bits from dumb late 80s action movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right, um, and, and and if you're brave enough to pick up a controller, Doc, you you, you actually get the pleasure of, of of controlling the action, as it were. Controlling the action, as it were. Um, yeah, but I, I'm 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 a passive kind of person. In 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 my entertainment, um, I'm a bit of a sub. I'm a bit of a bottom. Despite your um, ghastly appearance, you're you you're, you're actually a kind-hearted soul, aren't you, Doc? Yes, I am. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it, it's it's also. I suppose at this point, um, worth pointing out that um, uh, subs and bottoms are actually by far the more dominant person in those particular relationships because they're rarer commodities mm. um, and because 
they get to say what happens and what doesn't happen. So, <clears throat> um, no, not all that kind-hearted, really. Um, we, I'm still a controlling, manipulative fiend. We love you nonetheless. And, you know, that's only band number one. I better, I, I, I better give you a band. Um, here we go. I'm going to name-check Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. I've, 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 I've never got it. I've never got it. Um, you know, I hear it. I quite like it when it's on. No desire ever to listen to it. I couldn't hum you a tune. Um, but but again, it's it's kind of the the, the unfettered devotion, I suppose, that that puts them to me into the overrated category. Now you've had a you've had some life experience here that. I evidently have because I don't think I've ever met anyone who's ever really, really into Depeche Mode. Oh, um, yes. I mean, not since I was a preteen boy and the people I'm talking about preteen girls. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're opening my eyes to uh, a whole entire new world. I, I had no idea that um, Depeche Mode were particularly highly rated. Um, I think so. I've still got the image of so. them um, in my mind as being sort of skinny eighteen-year-olds with nasal Basildon accents. Mm-hmm. Um, goodness gracious me! I think I think they're a bit of a of a hipster um, favourite. I believe. Right. So, is this in a sort of post uh, postmodern ironic sort of revival sense, in the way that I know a lot of early '80s synth pop um, has been critically rehabilitated? Mm-hmm. I think so. That's that's the sense I get. Um, what, what's your next band, Doc? Um, well, I, I'd um, I better have a non-metal one now. Go on. Um, and um, I'm going to say Ministry. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. It was precisely your use of the phrase hipster favourite, mm. uh, because at about the same time that I was coming up into metal, um, if you were a alt hipster, um, then um, it was obligatory to be into ministry, and it was kind of obligatory to have the ministry cow skull logo painted on the back of your NATO parka. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was kind of obligatory to talk about how hard and how brutal they were all the time and how mm. they were far more hard and far more brutal than any metal band. Mm. Um, Patently untrue, I mean, incidentally. It, well, I mean, it's also the thing that anyone can make a fucking racket. Um, I've worked in a lot of factories and I've worked on a lot of building sites. and I've, worked, I've, I've used a lot of power tools um, and... I don't necessarily want for, for my listening pleasure. I don't necessarily want to listen to something that sounds like my part-time job. <laughs> yeah, but ministry, a funny one for me. Uh, they've got one album really. And even that's only got four or five good songs on it. I, the, the album, was it, was it called New World Order? That's what's in my mind. But I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, it. there's the constant, excessively edgy edgy flirting with right-wing imagery and um you know nazi slogans and confederate flags mm-hmm. um and cow skulls um and it's um i'm going to say if you find it edgy edgy and 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 you think it's fun well that's okay but no actually it really isn't it's no good for really you fucking childish and immature my next one could cause consternation amongst the masses. 
I'm going for the Rolling Stones. That's kind of interesting as well. Um, once again, in, in terms of being overrated, um, they get so much fawning approval from the classic rock press, mm-hmm. from the people who wish that popular, who, who think that popular culture finished in 1971 or, 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 or else wish it had. Sure. Um, and none of those people have an opinion worth paying attention to or respecting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that some of those people are into some of the same stuff as me um, is almost completely inconsequential because um, I like the Rolling Stones. Um, the five albums they made between about 1965 and 1970 um, are sort of in my, all of them are in my, my, my top 50 albums. Mm-hmm. Um after 1970, I'm really, really struggling to pick out even three songs that I'd ever want to listen to. Um, well, and and the, really, you've touched on my problem with the Rolling Stones. You know, I think in a a recording career that spans 40 plus years, I reckon they've got five songs that I like. And frankly, that hit rate is just insufficient. They've made an absolute shitload of albums over the last... Um, and I'm not joking, nearly 70 years. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I can understand why you think they're overrated. I think they're overrated. Um, and I suppose another part of it is um, when you have a band who've been around for as long as they have and who have been as popular as they have, you have kind of like the the Microsoft Word factor. Um, and I'll go over this anecdote really, really quickly. Little software companies um, in the 90s always had an idea that what they were going to do was make a ton of money by making a lightweight word processor that was a bit like Microsoft Word, but contained only the 10% of features that people really used, because everyone knows that Microsoft Word is stupidly bloated and 90% of the features no one ever touches. Of course. Um, What all of these little software companies eventually realized just before they went bankrupt was that it's perfectly true that everyone only uses 10% of the features in Microsoft Word, but everyone uses a different 10%. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's you know, su- supplying a demand for everybody. Supplying a demand for everybody. Yeah. So um, I think the Rolling Stones' uni- near-universal adoration and near-universal popularity in some way, shape, or form is that no, no one likes any more than 10% of their songs, but almost everybody likes a different 10% of them. It's a really, really good um, point. Yeah. I mean, it's it's possible to find ladies in their seventies now um, who like a couple of songs from nineteen sixty three and nineteen sixty four. It's possible to find middle aged guys who like a couple of songs from the mid seventies. Um, I expect mathematically, because um, they sold twenty thousand tickets to every show they played there are some people for whom their stuff in the 80s is their favourite stuff. Good, good God. Can you, can you imagine the mind of such a person? No, I can't. No. Nor do I wish to. <laughs> let's, let, let's not delve there, Doc. Come on, give us your um, final band. Um, well, even before you gave your last answer, this was in my mind. Once again, I'm not attempting to pro- uh, provoke controversy. Um. I do believe I can back up every single thing I'm about to say, but it dovetails so beautifully with yours because mine is the Beatles. Yes, I, I, I did wonder if you were going to uh, pluck the, the Fab Four from the archive stock. And, 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 I had a prediction about that one. Right, so here's my thing. Um, 
by definition, the Beatles are overrated because I've never read one meaningful word of actual criticism about them ever. Mm -hmm. I've never read anything about the music, the cultural impact, the personalities of the, of the individual band members, um, anything about them which is in any way critical or is anything less than um, fawning adoration. Um, and so, I mean, by, by definition, that means overrated. Yeah, I would um, point you to... There's a podcast that a comedian called Russell Kane does. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but he did spend a, consi a considerable part of the episode discussing John Lennon's um, penchant for domestic violence. Uh, John, uh, John Lennon's penchant for domestic violence, John Lennon's penchant for anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. John Lennon's penchant for uh, abandoning his own children, um, John Lennon's penchant for um, being a massive fucking hypocrite. Um, <laughs> Go on, get, get it off your chest. Uh, Go mean, on. You've, you've been wanting to spew this stuff out for 30 years. Come on, this is your chance. No, um, you, you, you don't even have to go that far. Um, I, I know why they're so popular, which is they took all of the thorny, edgy, difficult, um, really progressive, um, really challenging parts of 1960s culture um, and dressed them up in, 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 in musical drag um, and um, made them smiley and happy and, 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 and presentable on television. Um, they, they, they had some innovations. They had some genuine innovations. But most of the stuff that they get credited with innovating, they're hanging on the coattails of somebody else who did it very, very slightly earlier. Sure. Um, sure. Is that not true um, of, of all art, though, Doc? You know, you 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 produce new new art based on, you know, what went before. Um, you produce new new art based on what went before. But one of the very few nice things about popular culture in this century um, has been because of the internet and because of other research tools, there's been able to be a very rigorous critical re-evaluation about whether certain so-called innovators really were truly innovators. And I'm, I'm very, very happy that a lot of people who really, really were the first to do a certain thing um, in fields as diverse as science and medicine um, and transportation and engineering um, are now getting their props. The, mm -hmm. This guy's famous for it. Um, but in some cases, it's not even ripping off the other guy. Very, very famously, Isaac Newton gets the credit for inventing integral calculus, even though it's largely accepted that Leibniz beat him to the mark. Mm. No one's ever said that Newton ripped him off. Um, but there was a massive problem in science that needed to be solved. And two very clever blokes came upon the solution independently um, but the chap who gets the credit appears to have come up on it slightly after the bloke who should get the, uh, who, who, who should get the credit. Sure. No one's saying no one's saying Newton ripped off Leibniz, um, and in fact, the mathematical community at large uses the Leibniz notation and not the Newton the Newton notation nowadays. But that kind of stuff happens all the time. And I mean, for instance, I would like it mentioned a little bit more frequently and a little bit more clearly. Um, that um, Proko Haram um, on their debut album, White A Shade of Pale, um, did a lot of stuff that the Beatles are uncritically um, and 
undemandingly credited for inventing on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that it's impossible for them ever to be anything other than underrated. And at some point, I'm going to realise that that's actually caused them to be sold short to me because I've always been so frustrated by their untouchable demigod status that um, I've sort of shied away from them. And I don't even care about listening to this stuff because um, I, I'm i no longer able to... I've been drowned in other people's fucking opinions and fucking received wisdom about how great the Beatles are for so long. I don't know if it's possible to make um, my own value judgments or even to decide whether I like this album or not or, or, or that kind of thing. And it's like, it's... It's so much public property. It's so much received wisdom. Um, it's so, in the truest sense of the word, overrated. Mm-hmm. Meaning, there's just too many damn ratings about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand. Um, I, I understand and take your point about credit where credit is due. You know, sure, Sir Isaac Newton was the guy that had the apple fall on his head. But you know, let's not forget, Stu Francis was the first person to ever crush a grape live on TV. Good God. Come on. Stu Francis for the win. That's what I say. Um, Definitely. My last choice here, Doc, is... Hmm, blur. Never got it. Never understood it. A novelty band. Music for children. Oof, it, they make madness seem you know, like actual music. Awful. Awful. Um, I don't necessarily agree with anything you've just said. And, um, <laughs> Good. I say that. Um, and um, and I'm kind of I, I'm saying that as kind of a fan of certain aspects of their work as well. Um, I think the madness comparison um, is kind of bang on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they um, I think they looked into. Um, a, a particular way of harmlessly flirting with some very dodgy British nationalist imagery, um, peculiar enough at a time when um, Madness had stopped flirting harmlessly with it and were beginning to flirt very harmfully with the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Blow were about to be able to do that. Um I think one of the reasons people like them, and you can say with with equal merit or or equal venom, um, they are either um, pathetic bandwagon jumping opportunists um, or uh, endlessly mercurial self reinventors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they they started off as one of those bands who thought they would slip uh, uh, slip into the slipstream of the Stone Roses when the Stone Roses were involved in their court case. Um, they rapidly transitioned into, like I said before, the sort of... Um, there's more to say about it than this, but in the interest of brevity, I'm going to say Madness Light um, at the moment. Um, then, I think for a few years, in a way... An, I don't even know, and I don't even know if I care about whether it was an ironic or not finger on the uh, early, mid-90s zeitgeist 
um, because if you look back at those times um, and if you look at lad culture and if you look at, um, you know, was that stuff um, a postmodern ironic um, appraisal and dismantling of casual sexism or was it embracing casual sexism? Um, was it an ironic um, disarming of British nationalist imagery or was it an embracing of British nationalist imagery? Mm -hmm. um, you can have that discussion forever. Um, and if you want something to have that discussion about, then um, listen to some blur. For, for me, the problem is that, that, that you've touched upon like, the, chamele the chameleonic nature of them. You know, the, the, they, they seem to change their spots to suit the way the wind was blowing, basically. I fundamentally do not trust a band whose last album sounds nothing at all like their first album. You know, the, 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 if, if there's no connective tissue between those two things, I think they're I think they're making a, making it up as they go along, and I really get that feeling from Blur. Except, of course, when David Bowie does that, then you're obliged to bow down and worship. Well, no, him I, I mean, before, do not, please, don't get me started on David Bowie because we'll be here for <laughs> half an hour. By which time, my keyboard will be covered in spit for me raging at how terrible I think he is and the adoration that's poured upon him. Oh, God, you made me angry, Doc, with the mention of David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> I know that wasn't your intent. Um, are we ready for the episode proper? Um, this is kind of number four, but I need to say it anyway. I can't express how massively fucking overrated I think Grab Grab the Haddock are. Um, those bastards all over the music press all the time when they were recording, when they were playing, even after they broke up, you can't look anywhere without someone talking about how great Grab Grab the Haddock are, and I never saw the point. I, I have never got it. I have literally no idea what you're talking about, but I enjoyed it immensely. Grab Grab the Haddock, guys. Go and listen to them and see what the doctor is banging on about. Okay, welcome to part two of the show here. We're going to play a bit of each of the songs on the album, Hello Waits, then just chew the fat. We're ready, Doc? Absolutely. A lot of in a long intro doc if you remember. Yeah. Let's skip forward a little bit. Here we go. There for me, Doc. This one, you know, just just as a, a, a just a great intro, a great intro. Not only to a song, but to an album, to an album. What a way to start! Yeah, um, the jury is kind of out for me on whether I like album intros or not. Mm. Um, 
when they're thematically appropriate, um, I think I'm I'm a bit put off them by the fact that they were so de rigueur in black metal, in kind of second wave black metal, um, that when every black metal band suddenly decided that they they they, they had to buy a synth uh, a synth with that ah <laughs> sound um, on it. And every single album that came out for seemingly about 10 million years, and a lot of albums, um, had the exact same intro on it. Um, and you could sort of go, oh, well, it's the album intro. Um, but it just got longer and longer. And it really, yeah. really put me off album yeah. intros for yeah. a long time. Yeah. yeah. For me, for, for me, this this is thematically appropriate. You know, you just need to look at the cover, um, and I think the lyrical themes throughout the album, this constant, you know, kind of referencing to hell, the armies of, of the, 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 you know, the, the hordes, the 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 undead rising up. To me, it does feel thematically coherent. It does, and this goes into something we spoke at some length about in the last episode, which is that. We didn't realize it the last time we listened to this track, um, but we're listening to something not quite, not strictly, but I think it's the, with the possible exception of And Justice for All, I think it's the closest that thrash metal ever got to a true concept album. Yeah, it's a really good good point. I, I can't think of a, you know, what, what you could call a, a like a, a pure thrash metal album that would also be classed as, as a concept album. Can't think of one. I can think of a couple of power metal bands, heavy metal bands, death metal bands, but pure thrash. No, I can't think. I cannot think of one. Maybe. No. Maybe. Would, would Rust in Peace qualify, Doc? Because thematically, it's all to do with, you know, kind of nuclear war, contemporary war, urban war, all of this kind of stuff. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think you could even. Um, talk about Megadeth having a, a, a concept career. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a candidate. Um, if we're allowed to uh, go into the realms of death metal, um, and I, I believe I've made reference to this, uh, but I need to bring it up again because it, it's, it, it's so great. Um, when Bolt Throwers, uh, when the Fourth Crusade, Bolt Throwers' fourth <laughs> album came out, there was a brilliant review in Terrorizer magazine, um, which started by saying... Um, in with a piece of staggering originality, Bolt Thrower have written a concept album about war <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, if we're in death metal territory, um, I might I might throw um, Crimson by Edge of Sanity into the ring. To be honest, I don't really know what the concept is, but it is one track. It's like a, a 42, 43 minute track. One track, one album. No, but but I don't I don't know what the, is. Yeah, the concept is. Um, I think many of Morbid Angel's albums are possibly in a loose sense of the word, but I, I think many of Morbid Angel's albums are concept albums. Sure. Um, so um, they 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 all sort of pick a theme and stick with it, whether it's Lovecraft Mythos or Sumerian Legend or some other obscure occult tradition. Yeah. So I think the conclusion we're reaching is it's not all that uncommon in death metal. In thrash metal, practically unheard of. Sure. Um, we've we've listened to a lot of thrash between us, and we can only come up with two examples. Yeah, it's true. Um, it is true. Um, 
I'm going to skip forward a bit so we get to the fast bit and we we'll just have a little chinwag yep. about that. If I remember correctly, it, 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 it's when it got fast. It, you, you kind of lost interest in this track a little bit, didn't you, Doc? I really did, yeah. Mm. Um, when it's sort of sludgy, quite near the sludgy and atmospheric, quite near the beginning. Um, and I haven't really changed my mind. Sure. Um, it's a problem that we went on to see, not less than quite a bit, but we saw it a bit during the course of this album, which is that for the fast parts, um, maybe because of budget, maybe because of timing, maybe because they're not that good yet, there's quite a lot of those fast bits that could really do with a bit more discipline and a bit more practice on them. Yeah. I think that's what really yeah. blunts the edge of them for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it is it, it is kind of two songs smashed together in a way. Um, but for me, the, 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 the two halves really do work. Um, I love it. I, did, I think it's a Slayer classic. I think there's a reason they've played it, you know, almost as often as stuff like Angel of Death. It just, it, it, when they play it live, it brings the house down. That's the thing. I can imagine that. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was just one of those songs that was was never meant to be recorded. Yeah, yeah maybe it doesn't translate as well to, to vinyl. Maybe that's true. I did what... Let's get on to track number two. Here we go. Kill again. Star, isn't it? It's it it, it oh, got it such is. groove to it. It's such a great riff, and you, you talk about lack of discipline. There's discipline in the in the guitars going on there, Doc. Um, yeah, no doubt. Um, that song has got um, probably four of my favourite things to find in aggressive music mm. in it. Um, it's got the very very precisely executed staccato part um, where you have the guitar chug. And the uh, the military drum roll, yeah, um, perfectly timed. Yeah. Um, it's also got the um, a very simple melody delivered at a very very fast pace, and once again a very simple uh, but very original harmony part being played to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got groove, favorite thing number three. Yeah, um, and it's got um, it's 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 got tightness. Um, I mean. Um, they tight on that track, motherfucker. Yeah, they do. They do. They do tight. They certainly do. It, 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 
it, it, it, it, it's a stone cold, stone cold classic. I underscored this, Doc. I'm, I'm irritated with the score I gave this. I gave this a six. That's not correct, is it? Um, looking back on some of the other scores you gave, some of the other tracks on this album, no. Uh, I think you could probably get away with moderating that yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably bump that up to an eight, really. Um. The uh, finals week is over. We'll call that track in for a, a, a Viva Voce examination. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change it post facto. I'm going to my, my stores. My score stands. Otherwise, madness ensues if we keep kind of retrospectively changing stuff. But but I do concede that maybe I was maybe I was too harsh. Hmm. I think so. Track three, Doc. Here we go. Which is called At Dawn They Sleep. Here we go. Remember correctly, Doc. This track made you want to throw some shapes, did it not? Um, yeah, I mean, this uh, this is most definitely a disco banger. Um, I mean, um, you know, that this 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 would definitely um, this would definitely fill a floor. Um, it would be absolutely irresistible. You cannot not shake your booty to this track. Um, naturally, I approve of the presence of the bass. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm me, I also approve of the really, really shit bass sound that it's got on it. <laughs> um, it's a difficult instrument to record well um, and to give any presence to, which is why I think metal so often allows it to take up the supporting role. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it, that... The bass in metal is often a suggestion rather than a presence, isn't it? Um, I think you said this before, long, long, long ago. Um, you'd notice if it wasn't there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, this, this track for me, you know, it's great subject matter, um, great ambience, really good, really gro- just groovy, groovy as fuck, groovy as fuck, Doc. Um, yeah, it, it's a bit of a standard. And do you remember, this is Dave Lombardo's favourite Slayer track, apparently. Yeah, and when we were reviewing the track by itself, um, I think I said, I, um, why do you think this is? Yeah. Um, actually, really, really early on, um, you can already hear, like, a few Lombardo flourishes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and, and, and there is that crazy, weirdly timed drum roll quite like three quarters of the way through that mystifies me to this day. Firstly, <laughs> how does he know when to stop? And secondly, how do the other guys know when to join in? I don't know how they do it. It's very, very impressive. Uh, track number four. Here we go. This is Praise of Death.
I don't remember what this song was about, Doc. Do you, do you remember the theme of this of this song? You know, the, the general thrust of the lyrics. Um, no, I don't. Um, and that leads me to believe that possibly we didn't spend a great deal of time discussing the lyrics. No, I can't remember. We couldn't maybe mine much out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I can't remember this song having a great impact on me um, during its 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 own episode. Um, at all, I, I I think I sort of found myself struggling to come up with many original things to say about it. So well, you, you, I've got you, an original thing. Go on, Doc. Sorry to interrupt. No, please, please, no, please, sir. Please, after you, my 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 flippered friend. Um, <laughs> um, I've got an original thing to say now. Halfway through the album, nearly. Um, and how are we getting on with the concept that seemed to be hinted at in the first track and also in the last track? How how, how are we progressing with the 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 concept of um, of hell awaits. Yeah. Um, is, is, is that a rhetorical so, question? Um, no, not at all. Um, it's a question which I'd be delighted to get your opinion on. Yeah, I mean, thematically, it's all. Of course, it's all darkness, isn't it? It's all, you know, the the, the darkest recesses of of humanity, human human thought, human existence, and society. And if you remember, this is the point in the album where they choose to reprise the. Th- Kind of the, the 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 that kind of thematic intro for the first time, but not for the last time. So even for the band, they're saying this is the halfway point. We're going to remind you of the ambience that we're aiming for. Yeah. So it, it's it's a very clear attempt to um, stitch together. Um, I was going to say stitch a canvas. You don't stitch a canvas. You paint a canvas. Just stitch a tapestry, mate. Stitch mm, a tapestry. Mm, mm. Um, treat those metaphors nicely. Um, it's a clear attempt to stitch a tapestry, and obviously, um, for old people like us, this is an album that you would first have heard on cassette or on an LP or something. And it's it's the nice thematic bridge um, across the two sides. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. Um, in terms of musicality, it's probably it, its closest cousin so far on the album would be uh, "Kill Again," you know. But then, mm-hmm. but then you, but then they drop in that kind of reprise of, of the first song. Um, in the first half, I would say that it is at dawn they sleep. That kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, really. Um, you know, stylistically quite different. The, the, the you know the, the, the groove and the vibe and beat is is different. But the rest of the track, well, you've got obviously you've got the intro to, to, to the first track, which is very different to anything else. Then you've got at dawn they sleep. The bulk of Hello Waits, then Kill Again, then Praise of Death. Those tracks all feel very, very coherent to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's an idea. <clears throat> At Dawn They Sleep, um, being about vampires, of course, is I think the cl- just about the closest that Slayer get on this album to addressing a topic that's fun. Mm. Um mm-hmm. I mean, generally speaking, war is not fun. Madness is not fun. The stuff that the the, the topics that, if you like, um, the the um, in the Catholic canon, the the, the stations of the cross um, <clears throat> we're going through here, the um, the milestones um, on the journey to hell, um, they're not fun. You wouldn't want to experience them yourself. And then with the very different musical stylings, um, you get the war aspect of the descent to hell, 
that might in some way, shape or form actually superficially look like it might be, it might be fun to be a vampire. Yeah, the difference, I think, between Adornay's Sleep and the others is, you know, we're into real kind of high camp and pantomime, aren't we? You know, kind of real kind of silly gothic horror. Um, and I say that not as a pejorative because I love that stuff, um, but, but we, I don't think we're really meant to take it seriously. Um, or is it meant for counterpoint? Is it like the equivalent of um, the bit in Reservoir Dogs where the guy does a little dance to um, stuck in the middle with you while he's sure. torturing a policeman? Yes, yeah, so infamously, Wes Craven walked out to that point because he thought it was morally repugnant, I think was was, 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 was the words he used. Um, and yet, oddly enough, Wes Craven was the guy who had comedy policemen in... Um, Last house on the left. Exactly. Yeah. So very, 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 very strange because maybe Tarantino would point to that and say, "That was my bloody inspiration, you daft old bastard." <laughs> um, yeah. Ready for the next track, Doc? I am. Yes. Here we go. Necrophiliac. That's not you, Doc. That's the name of the song. Yes, it is. <laughs> Hand on heart, Doc. I absolutely love this song. It's never going to change. It's one of my favourite Slayer songs ever. It's one of my favourite metal songs ever. Gosh darn, it is one of my favourite songs ever. I love Necrophiliac. Um, I mean, what can you say? It's got Dave Lombardo um, flourishes. Um, It's got at least two great guitar parts in it. Um, It's a great piece of um right wing christian baiting filth mm-hmm. um one of the things that i will remember in perpetuity about this song is um our attempts to to back engineer the plot of <laughs> what it is the protagonist is up to um and um we sort of joked about it at the time but um i can really really imagine it being the plot of um, an oddball um, Italian sort of vaguely jello-inflected, vaguely, well, massively gore-inflected um, horror film from the late 70s. Uh, if only because, if we understood it correctly, um, the plot or all of the things that need to be in place for the spell to be cast correctly um, is just so ridiculously specific and so incredibly Byzantine. Um <laughs> I mean, I think we worked out something like um, the zombie um, of a demonically possessed um, priest, uh, I think. Inquisitor. Oh, yeah, High Inquisitor, yes, that's right. Yeah, no, you're right. High Inquisitor um, from the Middle Ages has to somehow um, see to it that um, a woman who is innocent of being a witch um, is executed for being a witch, but then he has to violate her corpse so that he can turn her into a whore um, and then 
um, rail against her uh, for causing him, the man of God, to turn against his holy vows and experience calm knowledge. And only then can she become pregnant with a demonic child, which must then be given birth to and sacrificed in order to open the gates. <laughs> I think I've got that right. I think that's it's, how the plot works. You're absolutely spot on. It's clear as day, Doc. Clear as day. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Yeah, no, no. It's, it did fabulously demented the lyrics, I, I do recall. <laughs> yeah. And, we are not making any of this up. All of those themes really are there in the lyrics, and they really do seem to be an earnest attempt to tell a coherent story, no matter how <laughs> cracked at the skull. Put it this way, I want to see that film. Yes. If it ever turns out that this really is based off the plot of a real Italian horror film from the late 70s, I must have it. I must, I must. And who would have thought that Anthony Hopkins could be such an evil bastard? Oh, no, I've made the same mistake again. <laughs> it's Matthew Hopkins. What a fool I am. <laughs> and a little-known fact, Doc, this was originally intended to be the theme music for Jim Will Fix It, but Savile complained. I wonder why. Here we go. Next track, which is called, give me one second, Crypts of Eternity. We absolutely slaughtered this song, Doc. Absolutely destroyed it. Um, doesn't sound that bad to me, that first 30 seconds. I don't think it was the first 30 seconds that uh, that really got our ire. Mm. Um, that first 30 seconds just sounds like a cheap and enthusiastic but not terribly accomplished bedroom demo. Mm. Um, mm. Of the kind that you and I have been known to participate in back when we were about 14 years old. <laughs> of course. Yes. I, 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 um, I think the problem, if I recall, is that it really, really outstays its welcome. Doesn't really progress anywhere. And the, the, the verse riff is nondescript to the point of non-existence. Yeah, um, I'm going to pick just one part of what you just said. It just outstays its welcome massively. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it's a long I song. Seem to, I seem to remember it going on for fucking ever as well. It's six and a half minutes. It's, it's unnecessarily long. Yeah. I think we can probably move along to the next track. I, I, I don't enjoy piling on things. No, uh, We spent over no, an hour piling on that poor song. Um Anyone who cares knows by now that we don't like it. Um, and my, 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 my gallbladder is pretty, pretty empty as regards that song, to be honest with you. No bile left. I, I want to uh, redress a little bit, though, because I gave it a one out of ten. And it hasn't, it, that has not sat comfortably with me at all. It's not that bad, you know. That that, that that was an overreaction. I was influenced by you, Doc. You dropped you dropped the one bomb, and I thought, oh, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. 
went, I, I went along with you, Doc. Peer pressure got to me. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I've had time to reflect. And, and I'm going to revise my score. Of course, the one still stands, as I say, because otherwise that my madness lies. But if I was scoring it today, I'd probably give that a four out of ten. Um, I, was, I, was, I was cruel. I was cruel. It is perfectly true. I did have your mom's knickers in one hand and your bollocks in the other. I know, I know, um, and, so and not for the and not for the first of, time. And not for the first time. Yeah, so I I, I was sort of um, uh, applying a little coercion to you. You were. Here we go. Last track uh, on the album: "Hardening of the Arteries." <laughs> Yeah, the hard one to talk about, really, because we, you know, we we only really spoke about this a few days ago for the last episode. It's a curio, though, isn't it? This yeah, song curio. because. You know, it, it's only three and a half minutes long, maybe four minutes. I'm looking at yeah, four minutes long, and the last minute and a half is that kind of weird echo of the intro, just done as the outro. So, you know, you're looking at a two and a half minute song here. It's almost not really a full song. Well, the way in which to appraise this track in this episode um, is to consider it in the context of what we only really concluded last week. Um, which is how does it work as the the coder as as the whole thing of a concept album? Sure. Um, if I am trying to come to a conclusion about anything um, during this discussion, it's is it a concept album um, or did they intend it to be? Um, and if it was, why did they never do another one? Mm-hmm. Or did they? Mm. Um, if they didn't intend it to be, how come it kind of works so well um, as a cohesive concept all the way through? Um, so here's what I think. Um, one member, or maybe even half of the band, wanted to do a concept album. The other half didn't. So what they settled on was some thematically linked songs. Um, so effectively... The songs have a common theme, which is, um, I'm going to repeat myself here, milestones or stations of the cross um, on the way to hell. Um, with the conclusion at the end of the final track um, being that they haven't been telling fantasy stories to hell. Um, it's all been a metaphor or an allegory or a polemic um, about literal disease and literal demonic possession um because that's a real thing you know mm-hmm. um as um a metaphor for social disease and social collapse um with a very nicely observed point that you made last week that there's 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 a couplet in here which is the first time that slayer have made what you might call an overtly political statement sure that's what i think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I like it. I, I, 
I like that. I like the metaphor. I like the, the, the lyrical theme. I like the fact that Jeff is kind of spreading his wings a little bit and, and trying something different. It's, it's not entirely successful, but it's not a bad effort, you know, for, 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 for an initial effort. Um, but it, but it, it, it still hangs with me a little bit. This, this isn't really a full song. You know, this, this is a... I don't know, just... It's like a half-baked musical idea that's thrown out there. The, the lyrics are good. The actual song the structure itself is, is is not particularly great. And then they just bolt on the, you know, the loop around back to the start again. It's really interesting. I don't, I, I don't know if it works entirely, but it doesn't make me cross in any way. You know, yeah, it did. Curio. That, that's the word I started with, and that's the word I'm going to finish with, Doc. It's a curio. Well, by Clovenhoof, be gone. Hello and welcome to part three of the podcast. Here, we're just going to kind of sum up our overall thoughts of the album. Um, so what do you reckon, Doc? As an entire package, does it work? Kind of. Um, yeah. As an album... Um, I and this is really really shocking for me. I enjoyed it less than the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's got as many colours to it. It's I don't have anything such as true synesthesia, but I do tend to assign colours to albums. Sure. Um, and sure. that first album is very red and very orange, um, and all kinds of other gaudy colours at the red end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. bits of yellow, um, and possibly some puce green. Um, so that's like a 70s bachelor pad wallpaper of an album, that first one. Um, and this one's a bit muddy, mate. It's a bit dark blue. It's a bit grey. Um, it just doesn't have many colours to it. Um, I mean, for me, at least... At Dawn They Sleep is such a standout track. Yeah. It sticks out like a sore thumb thematically and stylistically and musically um, and performatively. And I'm afraid when the cassette goes back in my cassette box, um, when I come to pick out a Slayer album again, it will be very, very, very far down the list of the Slayer album I pick out to listen to. It will certainly be far behind that first album. Yeah, sure. No, that's fair comment. I mean, for for me, you know, my, my, my final observation. I think we've talked about this enough, really. But my final observation would be, you know, doing this as a re-listen because, of course, you know, I am pretty familiar with this anyway. As 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 a died in the wall Slayer fan, I've, I must have heard this album eighty, a hundred times minimum. Um, so, so, so the tracks weren't a great surprise to me, but listening to it track by track, I do understand why I don't reach for this album often either. And that is those last two tracks. I, th- I think up until then, up until Necrophiliac, I think it's, I think it's rock solid, but then those last two tracks, I don't know that they were a bit more challenging. They were, they were a bit, I'm not challenging, like they're more extreme, just testing the patience a little bit. I think yeah. it's crypt, crypts of it's crypts of eternity that kind of kills it a little bit. It totally kills the the tempo and the and the feel of the album. And then 
because Harding of the Arteries is only really half a song before you then get a minute and a half of outro, it kind of feels like it's not worth getting through Crypts of Eternity just for that couple sure. of minutes of Harding of the Arteries. Do you understand what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, so it, for, for me, the album, I wouldn't say falls off a cliff, but there is a there is a significant downturn once necrophiliac, once necrophiliac ends. You know, if this had been released in 1988, um, there was a phrase which someone used earnestly once and immediately became the stuff of parody. Um, the guy who invented the phrase was intending it to be mean... Uh, to mean this is the kind of album where you really want the very best stereo, the very best reproduction equipment. You need to hear the quality and the production skill that went into this album. Um, what people thought he meant was, will become clear in a second, but the phrase to use was, this is the kind of album that CD players were invented for. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. I could, the, the, because you, you can see the double meaning there instantly, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> um, so... This is the kind of album where, when you're listening to it, it would be really, really handy to be able to press one button um, sure. and skip bloody grips of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I, I remember my last Walkman that was a tape-based Walkman had the function that if you press fast-forward, it would stop at the end of uh, at the end of the track when there was a break in the music. Oh, my oh, God, very Doc. useful. I really oh, thought I was living in the twenty-first century. Sure. Uh, what's the overall running time of this album? I think, I mean, without... Hang on, let, let, let's do this live. Do it on the fly. Hold on. My guess would be 42 or 43 minutes, but let's, let's have a look. Because a couple of the songs are quite lengthy. Hello Eights is six and a half minutes or so. And then, as we mentioned, Crypts of Eternity is, is, is far too long. Um, here we go. I've, I've pulled it up. Actually, it's not as long as I thought. It's 37 minutes, 12 seconds. So, in actual fact, um, if you were feeling really stingy that week and you could only afford a C60 cassette, Mm -hmm. um, you could drop Crypts of Eternity and you could drop the last track and you could squeeze everything worth listening to onto one side of the C60 cassette. Well, I I think you you could snip out Crypts of Eternity put the rest of it on and, and it would just cut off during the outro to, to Hardening of the Arteries. It'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah. perfect. You know, that's a really, really good point. Should we get into some numbers, Doc? I'm, I know you like a stat. Yeah, absolutely. Average scores, average score for the album, you, good doctor, gave it six out of ten on average across seven songs. And that's even factoring in the almost unfair amount of abuse I gave to Crooks of Eternity. It is, yeah. Obviously, that really pulled the average down. Um, And I gave it Um, 6.2 out of 10 on average. So we're pretty close. Um, Any standouts here? Not. I'll tell you what, what... the, the actual averages are very, very close. If you, if you, if you add our scores together for each track and look at the average mark, it's very close because it only rained with the exception of Crypt of Eternity, which is, of course, ridiculously low at two out of 20. Um, it's between 12, 14, 
and the highest is 17. So the lowest combined mark we gave it, not average, I'm saying the word average, it's not an average. The lowest combined score is 12. The highest is 17, with the exception of Crypts of Eternity, which we gave a combined score of two. two which is, you know, ah, I don't like it, but we, it's done now, Doc. We've buried the corpse. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, In data science, I think we call that an outlier. I think I think you're right. It, it's off the bell curve. Um, Necrophiliac, the clear winner, seventeen out of twenty, our combined score, and I think that's probably reflective of our enjoyment of the, of, of, of of each song, really. Yeah, I mean the 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 R value um, is above half, mm -hmm. um, and the standard deviation is very very small. It is, um, and I put that forward as supporting evidence that it's by no means a terrible album, but it's, it's a bit great. You know, it, it's, it's got a very, very uh, horizontal mean going through the middle mm -hmm. and the, the extent to which the scores go above or below that mean, the standard deviation is not, if it's possible to um, come up with the most, damning by faint praise expression that i can can, can come up with it's mm. better than average yeah well it, it definitely is um i'm not surprised by our findings really it's i, th I think it's our least favorite release so far if you look at our scores show no mercy you gave 6.2 i gave 6.7 Haunt in the Chapel, you gave, if you remember fabulously, you gave 6.662, Doc, deliberately. And yes. I gave 8 out of 10, too. So it's our least favourite so far. I'm done, Doc, talking about this album. I think, I think we've, uh, I think we've pillaged as much as we possibly can. Unless, unless we have a final kind of wrap-up thought, we'll end the episode. I've got a couple more questions. Go on. Um, so... How do you see this album um, on the road? Because I mean, we're we're literally on the cusp of I think with very few detractors is regarded as the real purple patch of Slayer. Sure, are we not? Mm -hmm. We are. Um, so, um, is this the journey so far? Um, has it been a, a sort of gentle upward slope towards the purple patch, or is the purple patch suddenly going to be like a vertical cliff up onto a towering plateau? It's a good question. Um, I, I don't think it's it, it's a, actually like a vertical ascent. I, I think it's more kind of a sideways step into a different realm. Um, oh. Uh, that would be my interpretation because, because this album by itself, I think is still a very, very strong album and, 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 a, and a, you know, a welcome addition to their back catalog. It just doesn't reach the great heights with it, with, with, for me, the exception of necrophiliac um, of, you know, several, several tracks per album that, that you know, that we're going to get coming up over the next 40 or 50 episodes, Doc. My God, what, what have we <laughs> to So before I finish up completely, in your opinion, what are the portentous tracks on this album? Which are the tracks on this album, if any, that hint at what we might be in for next? 
Yeah, well, it's a good question. I'd, I'd say the first, I'd say the opening track, Hello Waits, gives us that kind of sense of bombast, um, you know, that will be coming, maybe not on the next yeah. album, but certainly on the album, the next two after that. Um, I'd say <clears throat> Necrophiliac gives us that perfect blend of, you know, great melody, absolutely killer melodic verse riff that combines perfectly with Tom's vocal delivery and a sense of fury um, and kill again, you know, but that kind of proto death metal style, the, 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 you know, the, the, the we'll see in tracks, like future tracks, like some like, I don't know, born of fire, maybe um, ghosts of war and, and the majority of rain in blood. Yeah. Well, I am all done now. Well, it's been a roller coaster, I would say, this album. Um, quite, eye, quite eye-opening, really. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed your, your company, Doc. That about does it for this episode, I think. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. I'm going to keep saying it until one of you bastards actually does contact us. Join us next time when we'll be discussing... No, we will not. Join us next time when we will be doing a covers special of the album we have just listened to. I hope you look forward to that, Doc, because I certainly am. Oh, yes. <laughs>